like. So collectively, we are told in verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. In the same way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live and move together, God desires for the church, for his body of believers to do the same. There is one God, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. In a world that is excellent at divisions, at separating, at categorizing, at tribalism, the unity of the church is part of the evidence of God at work in and through us. The unity of the church points to the truth about who God is. When people who have no business getting together get together, moving as one, it is evidence of God's work in and through us. We like to set ourselves apart. We like to notice how it is that we're different than in our culture, in our American culture. We like to compete and we like to be the best. In our New York culture, we like to compete and we like to be the best. We want the best everything, right? And so we're always trying to separate ourselves from the pack. And yet, the church is called to function as one. We're to live a life worthy of our calling. We're to be united around the central truth of who God is. Many of you know that there is a church that meets here in this space from 10 to 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. There's another church, a whole other group of people that meet right here. And then as we're setting up here, they go downstairs and they have a, a social hour. And it would be totally normal and common for these two churches to try to sabotage each other. I'm just telling you, this is what happens out there, right? Because we're trying to compete and we're trying to be better than and we want to separate ourselves. And it has been the most beautiful thing to watch over the last few years as these two churches, as people from these churches, have started to get to know one another and have started to hear each other's stories and have started to pray for each other and have started to make space for each other, humbly making space for each other's faults, It's evidence of of God at work. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for us to be united. It's one of the markers of God's work in and through us. And it's completely other than what we see everywhere else. It's one of the beautiful things of the church. And so for us as a body, to go, well, what does that mean for us to be united together? One, you got to actually know the name of the person around you. You've got to actually find out who they are, get to know a little bit of their story before you have any chance of being united with them through Jesus. So for some of you, that might be the only thing today. You're like, well, shoot, I just need to meet some people. I just need to find out someone's name. Make sure they know my name. That might be the only thing that you hear today. And if that's it, that's great. But why we need to be united. And the reason that we need to be united is because the reality is we're all different, right? 
It's very easy for us to identify ourselves by our differences instead of the things that unite us. I recently have discovered the New York Botanical Gardens in the Bronx. I don't know how many of you have been there. They're beautiful. There's free hours on like Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings, but they're so great that I decided to go ahead and get a membership for the year because my day off is on Friday, and typically, thankfully, nobody else is there on a Friday. It's this magical thing. You can walk through gardens alone. So if I don't respond to you on a Friday, it's because I'm in the garden. Um, But there are these amazing, beautiful displays, and they're all sectioned off by, you know, here's the lilac garden, here are the conifers, and here's, and there's all these, these sections of things. And so, yeah, here's, here's the rose garden, right? And it's unified, and that there are all of these roses, and yet there are over a hundred species of roses, and thousands of hybrids of roses. And there's this amazing diversity of roses that makes it so stunning and so beautiful. And it's the same way within the church. We are most beautiful when we are united and yet living into our uniqueness, living into our unique calling. This passage goes on in verse 7. However, each one, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. A unique gift. And in verse 11, it continues, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What's interesting about this list of gifts that we're given here is that it's different from other lists that we find in Scripture about spiritual gifts or manifestations of God's Holy Spirit at work in our life, what it is that that comes out of us. And it's different because it's not an ability that it highlights, but it's actually the people themselves that are the gift. The gift to the church here is the apostle. It is the teacher. It is the prophet. The church is not meant to be an organization where some guy just stands up in front of a group of people week after week and that's it. If this is all that the church is, it's not the church. It's dead. There's nothing to it. The church is meant to be a vibrant organization where all of the members of it recognize their uniqueness, united in goal, and yet live uniquely into the calling and the way that they have been created. There are many of you today that are going, wait, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be a gift? Yes, Yes, you are supposed to be a gift to this community. You are supposed to be a gift to the body of Christ. The way that you have been hardwired, the way that God has created you was intentional in your uniqueness to bring that fully to his people. I'm going to go through very briefly these five different gifts, these five different types of people that I believe are hardwired. You are hardwired like this. This was how God made you. If you actually, if you look at most successful organizations that are secular, you'll see these different types of people, these five different types of people at play in the organization. I actually, in, on your program, you have space to write these things down and go, you know, I think maybe, I want you thinking, is this me? Is this who I am? Is this the type of person that I am? First is the apostle. There's a book, The Church's Movement, that goes through these different ones, and so these are graphics from that book. But the apostle, symbolized here by fire, it's a trailblazer, right? They catalyze 
They commission. They start new works. Apostle literally means the sent one. In the world, you'll see them as entrepreneurs, startups, right? New York's full of those. They're pioneers, always moving into new territory to help cultivate a thriving environment in the, in the congregation, and they love crossing boundaries. We might call them dream awakeners because they help people discover and live out their calling. They help cultivate a discipleship ethos in a church where they're saying, I want to I recreate people so that we can start new churches, so that we can have new converts, so that we can go into new areas and have new ministries. Apostles help people and communities live out the answer to Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're going, how is it that your kingdom can live out here? So for some of you, you're going, yeah, that kind of sounds like me in all of my life. I like to start new things. I'm looking for ways to break new ground. I'm married to one of these, okay? Notice he's not here. He's gone on to do something else. (laughs) He's breaking new ground. This is who he is. And this is his gift to the church. This is his gift. When he brings his full self, starts new things. Next, prophets. You'll see the scales of justice, right? They expose. They call out. Prophets expose Authority, false claims to power. They demonstrate how power, these false claims of power, they're not going to be able to keep their promises. And they uncover the deception that these claims will take and crush us if there's no repentance. They call people to living under God's reign. They have a passion for social justice and seek to cultivate a liberating environment liberating people from their personal sins, speaking truth to power in social sense. In the world, right, you would see those as activists, often as artists. Greta, right? A woman's a prophet. She's speaking to power. She's calling people out. We might call them heart revealers because they reveal the heart of God and the heart of the people. They always help the church be looking at the poor and the oppressed, truth speakers, challengers, so prophets. There are some of you where you go, oh, this might be me. If I see an injustice, I can't keep quiet. I've got to go for it. Rachel, I think of you. <laughs> you see something wrong, you just can't, right? You just, you've got to say something. These are prophets. And your, and your gift, the way that you're hardwired, is not meant to just be out there in the world, but no, we need that here. Next, picture feet moving, evangelists on the road, always going inviting and exciting. Don't think televangelist. Think storytellers. Have a knack for inviting people to come in and live into the kingdom of God. They help people see God's story and recognize that they have a part in it as either, as either the villain or the hero. But calling people to, how is it that you're going to live as the hero? They're proclaiming the good news. They're going around, they're telling everybody, making space for hospitality in all areas of their life. They're excited. You might be someone who's an evangelist if whenever something good happens in your life, you just can't help but tell everybody. 
Has anybody ever heard me talk about Aldi and how amazing it is? How many of you have I shared my Instacart with now because, oh my gosh, they deliver here to the island? Okay? I just can't help it. I've got to tell you. And not only is that important out in the world, but it's important here. So there are some of you who are evangelists who, when you discover then the good news of God and how he's impacted your life, we need to give you the megaphone to go and tell. Next, pastors. You see it's two people side by side. They guard and they guide. They guard the community from the wolves and guide them towards still waters. They're nurturers and protectors. We might call them soul healers. They cultivate a healing environment to help us work through our past hurts, move to our sense of wholeness in the context of community. They're always pulling people in, pulling people together. They have a deep sense of the brokenness within us, help us cultivate a life-giving spirituality and embody reconciliation. They're always creating a sense of family within the group, creating spaces where people can feel safe and vulnerable. You know those people, right? They're the, they're the organizers of all of the events in your life. They're always pulling people in. Oh, well, have you thought about this person? And are you okay? And they're checking in on people all the time. Think of Melissa Wade here at our church who constantly, I mean, I don't know how many people are like, well, I was having lunch with Melissa. I'm like, how many lunches can that woman have? Right? But she's always checking and looking, pulling people in. It is a gift to the church. Next is Teachers. They interpret and they inform. They're bringing truth. They're taking the scripture. It's a picture of the scrolls and the scriptures, right? They're gathering knowledge and passing on wisdom. They're light givers. They shed light on scripture, help people understand it in a life-giving way. They cultivate learning environments so that the whole body is growing in knowledge and wisdom and maturity. As you hear these descriptions of these five things, I really want you to sit and go, well, what is, where, where is that with me? What is it, how is it that God has hardwired me that I might be a gift to the community, that I might be a gift to this congregation? If you're not sure, start asking some people around you. What do you think about this? How might I, how might I be? How might I be a gift We've been given unique gifts by the Holy Spirit that we are to cultivate. When we realize how it is we've been hardwired, we then cultivate. We encourage these things to grow and use it for the church, for God's people. These are not just to keep for ourselves. If someone gives me the gift of a really nice KitchenAid mixer, which maybe someone did at one point, if I just leave that thing on a shelf and never use it, it's no good, right? No, instead, I'm pulling it out and I'm, I'm using it to make chocolate chip cookies for my family, you know? We've got to take these gifts off the shelf and put them to use as well. So, how is it you've been created to be a gift to God's people? It's amazing, when we make space humbly and in unity for the uniqueness of our gifts, there are some amazing benefits that are then described in verses 13 through 16. It says, when we use these gifts, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, 
We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is what the church is meant to do, to cultivate to, uh, to, as a united front, cultivate our unique gifts and bring them fully to this body. Each of these different types of people are needed for the growth of the church. We need the wisdom of the teachers, the protection and guidance of the pastors, the vision and courage of the apostles, the truths of the prophets, and the energy of the evangelists so that we become more and more Christ-like. How is it that we are cultivating these aptitudes that God has given us? We need to be cultivating unity, cultivating our unique gifts. But just as if I wanted to change my physical body, I would need to start doing something and stop doing something. I would need to start exercising and I would need to stop eating junk if I wanted to get myself in shape. The same is true for the spiritual body. We need to start cultivating these gifts, identifying what they are, figuring out how it is we can contribute to this body. But then we also need to stop doing some things as well. As we continue on in verse 17, it says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, which how great is that, right? Who doesn't want to just walk around saying that all day long? With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, as those who don't know God. Don't live like them anymore. Stop that. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have, heard, have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I love how this says, throw off your old sinful nature, as though it's something that is holding you down and pushing you down. It's something you need to get rid of. I had Judah on my back a few weeks ago on one of those baby carrier backpacks and we had hiked for about four miles. And when we got to the end and I unbuckled him, I mean, I could feel it was like my spine. He's too big for those things now, right? I could feel my spine like uncoil. I'd been compressed by this thing on my back. And the reality is as it's going, I kind of forget about it, right? I get used to it. It's for so many of us, we have these things in our life we have these things in our life that we've been carrying around in old ways that we used to live. We don't even realize how much they're hindering us. We're meant to live unhindered. We need to throw these things off. We won't throw Judah off like that, don't worry. But you've got stuff that's too comfortable and ways that you've been living that you need to throw off. I, in high school, for some reason, thrift shopping was really common and it wasn't to find good clothes. It was to find things that no one would wear anymore. I had a pair of khaki and turquoise checkered polyester pants 
And they weren't like tailored. It was like a high school student made them. And I wore those things all the time. It was so embarrassing. Thankfully, we didn't have phones, so I don't have evidence of it for you. But it's like I got to throw it off, right? <laughs> Get rid of it. And so I'm going to go through some practical things here that he continues on and says, throw these things off. And the reality is Paul has just spent three chapters explaining that it's not by the way that you live that you are saved. It is fully because of Jesus. So as we get this list, it's not, oh, well, I need to go through these things, and if I don't get this together, then I'm not accepted by God. Nope, he's already made it clear you're already accepted by God. But sometimes we just need to have a full understanding of, no, this isn't how I'm supposed to live. God doesn't desire this for me. He doesn't desire this for our church. And so sometimes we just need to read it and go, you know what? This is what it is I need to be praying for because I see this in my life. I see that this is something that has been hindering me, that has been holding me down. And to live a life that is worthy of the calling I've been given, I need to be unhindered. I need to throw it off. So, verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we, are all, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Which I just want to pause here and say, how fascinating is it that in the church that Paul's writing to, the expectation is there's a thief So when sometimes you're thinking, oh man, I've done too much, I might not be welcome here. Listen, this is a place for the thieves. But then stop. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all other types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As I read through that, what is it that you go, man, I see this in my life. i got to throw this off. There's been a lot of anger. There's been a lot of bitterness, resentment. Maybe there's been some thieving. I don't know. Maybe I've been been hindered by a lack of generosity in my life. Maybe I've been hindered by anger or the temptation to be deceitful to those around me. What is it that you need to throw off? What is it that we need to invite the Holy Spirit in to start renewing our mind? to start teaching us of truth so that we can live a life that is worthy of the calling that he has given us. As he says, follow God's example. Remember, we have all of this good news because of what Christ has done for us. 
gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is what the church is meant to look like. United, uniquely gifted, and unhindered by our former way of thinking. As the band comes up and as we prepare to receive communion in just a moment, as we think about God's example, you can come on up. Go ahead. As we think about God's example, and just think about what it is that he invites us, as, as Paul is saying, stop doing all of these things. We think about all the ways that Christ has lived into that positive list, right? Christ gives generously to us in need. Everything Christ says is good and helpful. His words are an encouragement to those who hear them. He's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved. He's kind to us. He's tender-hearted. He forgives us. And so as we finish our service today by receiving communion, we remember that he gave himself up for us. He chose to give himself for us so that we could be a people that are a tangible expression of his love and his goodness in the world.